Well, again, thanks for inviting me, and I love to talk about trust. I don't always like to trust. I don't know about you, but I love to talk about trust. And I think that um, if we heard a study on trust or read verses on trust every day, it can't get old, can it? I mean, I think each one of us probably in here, uh, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but deals struggles with trust in some area of our life. Would that be a correct statement? And um, maybe you're thinking, no, I don't. So I challenge you tonight to pray about that because I think sometimes, sometimes I feel like I struggle more with the trust in the little things than the big things. I don't know if that makes sense. God calls you to do something that's so scary, and you're like, okay, Lord, yes. And but then the the, the stuff that happens every day that seems sometimes so insignificant, I struggle with trusting Him. And so um, I'm just glad that He's a merciful God and He knows our heart. But so I love to talk about trust because it reminds me of how trustworthy our God is, and He is so trustworthy. Um, the foundation of trust is from Proverbs 3, 5, and I know that Lynn Pronio last session did a great job. I uh, listened to her uh, message, and it was great, and she talked about the foundation of trust being God. We know the Lord is that. He's the basis of it. Uh, we know that trust is relying or depending on someone or something, and this comes from knowing him, as Lynn talked about. And the more intimately we know him, the deeper we can trust him, right? It's like you can't trust a friend if you don't know them, if they haven't proven that they keep their word. The same with God, but he's proven it over and over. He is trustworthy and he is faithful. I love in 2 Timothy 1.12 when Paul was speaking to Timothy and he says, For this reason I also suffered these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep what I committed to that day. I love that he talks about whom I believe rather than what I know. It's whom he believed in that allowed him to trust um, in the time of his suffering. And, you know, when we doubt, we can always trust God's character, right? When we don't understand, we don't understand what's going on at all. We can trust his character. We can trust his nature. We can trust his power, right? We can trust his love. Uh, but we have to know him and that those characteristics before, obviously, sometimes we trust him. And I love that phrase. We trust that he is able. And that phrase was in one of the songs that we sang tonight. He is able. And whatever it is that you're struggling tonight with trusting him, know he is able. I don't know what that means for your life and your situation. And maybe, you know, it's not necessarily the way you have planned or would like it to be. But he is able to do whatever you add in that blank. I love those three words, he is able. I have to remind myself that a lot. And just like the foundation of a house... If the foundation isn't secure, it's not a strong building, right? We talked about that last time. If it has a defect or if it's flawed or if it's weak or made of bad material, it won't stand, right? And it will fall during times of stress and trouble. We understand that analogy of, uh, of foundation of a house. And I love that picture in Matthew 7, 24. Uh, through 27, where it talks about building your house, don't build it on a sandy land, right? So that's a very familiar uh, imagery to us. And I love everything about that story. Sometimes it's people think it's like the Sunday school story, don't build your house on sand. I even love that song. I just love the whole imagery because it's similar. It's also similar to the three little pigs. It reminds me of that, and I, I like that story. But also the promise or the statement in that story of the hard times and the storms will come, it will beat on the house, the rain descended, the floods came, and again, the winds beat it on, 
beaded. That's not a word, but you know what I mean. It beaded on the house. But it was a certainty. It wasn't in that story. It's not if the floods come or if the rain happens. It's when, over and over, when, when, when. So it's a certainty. And anyone who has been alive more than a day can attest to that, right? Life is hard. And life is, seems to be getting harder. But one with a firm foundation, a house with a firm foundation will stand. That rock will hold. It's tried. It's true. It's proven to be strong and secure. And that's our God. And we have to have that foundation. And again, the first session, foundation of trust. We have to have that being sound and secure. Our foundation of trust is also another imagery used is like an anchor that's used in Scripture. And we know that's a weight used to hold a ship in place, an anchor that holds firm when times are tough. We know in Hebrews 6.19, it tells us this hope we have and hope in Christ as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast. And anchoring ourselves in God's trustworthiness is our source of security and stability. But anchors, again, have to be secured in the right spot, right? If your anchor is in the right, not the right spot, you can drift. And he is our right spot. He is the foundation. We can hold true and stand on many wrong platforms, can't we? We can hook our, our anchor onto many lies that the enemy has for us today. I stood on the good person platform for many years till I got saved. I got saved when I was 18, and I grew up thinking all you needed to do was be a good person. And being a good person is what would earn me the right to be in heaven. And I set my anchor on that truth, on that lie that would keep me just thinking if I did good works and if I went to church on Sunday and if I could, you know, did all these things that I was told, that is what was going to get me to heaven. And so we can anchor something and and. It can hold, but in the wrong place. And that's why it's so important that our anchor is in Christ. Um, I think sometimes even when our foundation is right, for many of us here, we tend uh, to build or anchor ourselves on false beliefs or false teachings at times or thoughts or emotions that cause us to make wrong decisions, don't we? Um, the I deserve it. Uh, platform or a loving God wouldn't do this to me kind of platform or self-pity or, you know, name it, unforgiveness or a lack of understanding of who we are in Christ. These are things we tend to put our anchor in, which creates what? Wrong thinking, which creates wrong emotions, which creates wrong actions. And so our, you kind of, I taught that recently, and it's just such a simple thing that has stuck with me. If you picture, draw yourself a triangle, and up here you write thoughts, over here you write emotions, and over here you write actions. And when the Lord says to think on these things, it's because wherever you put your thoughts, and if you set your thoughts on the wrong truths, it creates emotions, doesn't it? Emotions of self-pity or self, you know, uh, no worth or again hatred or anger and then those thoughts cause emotions and those emotions cause you to make wrong actions that's why up here our thoughts have to be set on him and anchored in him because only those right thoughts will create right emotions will create right actions of obedience and so it's important again that our anchor is in the lord uh proverbs 3 if you want to open up your bible we will now get to my topic now that i just told you everything you already knew because Lynn told you already, but had to, you know, set it up. So Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And then this is my verse for tonight. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So last time was foundation of truth and mine is, I mean, of trust and mine is the act 
of trust. The NLV in verse 6 says, Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you the path to take. So once we know who our foundation of trust is, then we're called to act on that trust. And again, verse 6 says the word acknowledge him or seek him, and he'll direct us. So what does it mean to act on trust? Does it mean just to do whatever? Okay, I trust God. I trust that no matter what I do, I'm going to be good and I'm going to be safe. I used to think that when I was in my good person platform because somebody taught me the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And anything I wanted to do, I would just quote that verse over and over like that, that, you know, I can do all things. I would kind of forget that through Christ who strengthens me, but I can do all things. And I think sometimes we think that, right? And so uh, that's not what it means. Or if we really trust God, um, if we really trust God in our life, is life just really easy and we're happy all the time? Like if I trust God, do I just not have all these emotions because I'm just so spiritual and I, I trust him? Uh, during scary times, does it mean that I'm never afraid because God will protect me? I don't have to be afraid. Or when someone hurts me, it kind of bounces right off me because I know that God has my best in mind, so I don't have to worry about it. Or when someone betrays me, no worries. You know, I'm not going to fall apart because I know God has a bigger plan. Or when my marriage goes through difficult times, I don't panic because I know God's in control. Or when I have a prodigal child, I don't have to be anxious. Or a child that's making wrong decisions, I don't have to be anxious. The Lord's got him. Or when someone I love dies, I don't need to grieve because, hey, I know where he is. Is that what trust is? We just feel great. We have no stress, no worry because God's in control. And trusting God makes all our emotions go away. Is that how it works with you? Don't work like that for me. I mean, I wish it did, don't you? I, maybe it's supposed to, but uh, certainly not me. And I don't think we're made like that. We are humans, and God knows that. We do. He gave us feelings and emotions and thoughts. And we, like Paul, struggle between our spirit and our flesh and what we should feel and not feel and what we should do and not do. We struggle daily, at least I do. We will be scared and sad and frustrated and have heavy hearts. But the key there is, can we, like Job, say, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. It doesn't mean that we don't have these emotions or feelings or anything, but I think it's we choose to trust him despite those feelings. And we choose to put, again, to put one foot in front of the other and go forward anyways, even if I'm scared, even if I'm frustrated, even if I have a heavy heart, even if I don't understand Again, because my God is trustworthy and I can choose to move forward in obedience. And so when I think of the act of trust, I think of obedience. I think of choosing to seek his will. I think of obedience and I think that is the act of trust. I think Jesus is our great example of that in Mark 14, where he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You all know the story. And he says, Father, all things are possible for you. This is a great prayer. I know, God, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. That's trust, right? That, that's, he understood what was coming. He carried this heavy burden. He did, was betrayed. He had pain. It said that he was praying as uh, sweats, um, drops of blood. He was experiencing pain, yet 
God, I will trust you. His emotions and feelings didn't go away. Sometimes we think of Jesus, well, he was God. He didn't feel these things. Yes, he did. But he still chose. He still made that decision to obey no matter what. And to obey even if it was hard. And to obey even if he was betrayed. And to obey even if, um, you know, everyone around him fled. In his lonely times, he still chose and chose to obey God. It's learning to trust him when we feel afraid. It's learning to trust him when we feel sad or confused or angry. And it's learning how to live a life of unhesitant obedience. And ladies, I think that's a lifelong process, don't you? you if you think you've handled it, wait till tomorrow. I mean, that's just how it goes, right? And it's, it's learning just to obey uh, regardless or nevertheless when we don't understand or when we don't agree with what God's calling us to do or when we're afraid of the outcome or we simply just don't even want to do it. It's certainly not easy, but again, this lifelong process, learning to trust in a God who is almighty and sovereign and perfect and trustworthy and who all his promises are yes and amen and who can't lie, cannot lie, whose ways are past finding out, who is control in control of the whole world, who doesn't sleep or slumber. Doesn't that promise you can sleep? You can sleep at night. You don't have to toss and turn because you don't know where your child is if you have a prodigal child because God does not sleep or slumber and he's watching out for that child. And you can rest in peace and sleep. He's a God who doesn't get confused by our actions or surprised when we sin. Amen to that. I always think, God, did you know I was going to do that? Well, of course he did. I didn't surprise him and he doesn't love me less. Thank goodness. It's a God who loves us so much, who cannot love me anymore, who adopted me into his family, who will never leave me, who will enable me and empower me with his spirit as I pour myself out, who pours himself in. That's the God that we trust. That's what makes him trustworthy. But we like to control, don't we? Am I the only one that likes to do that? I think I'm controlling sometimes, and I don't even know I'm controlling. And, and then someone will point it out, and it's like, whoa, wow, I didn't see that. Because we just think we know, don't you? I think I know. I think I know what's best for my children. I think I know what's best for my husband. I probably think I know what's best for you, and I don't even know you. But I'm sure that if you told me your life, I could tell you what you should be doing with it. Because I know best, right? And even if we don't say that or even think we think that, it's kind of... It's kind of how our actions are sometimes, aren't they? We like to control. But the act of trust all comes to the opposite of that, to obedience. Because if we really do trust him, and I would say, how many of you believe that you trust God? And I would trust that probably all of us think that we trust God. But if we really do trust God, we will obey him. How can we say we do if we don't? Um, we should learn to accept and esteem his will in our lives rather than our own. And again, it's acknowledging him in every, everything. Um, I think uh, when I keep thinking about trust and unhesitating obedience, I think automatically of John chapter 10 and the whole imagery of God, you know, him being the good shepherd and we're his sheep and, and, he builds that whole story. That's such a beautiful story. Don't you love sheep? I, I just love sheep in that analogy. But the one part that it says his, his sheep know his voice. And it's, it's talked about like in a, a real shepherd and sheep situation, the, the little sheepies are eating. And when the shepherd has that little call that they have special for their, their ears just pop right up and they go right after the shepherd. They don't hesitate. They just follow the shepherd. He's their source of everything, of food of where they're going to take him to sleep, of green pastures. He leads them where they should go. They don't hesitate. They trust the shepherd. 
And, you know, I had a really another good picture of this. Uh, my daughters uh, lived in Thailand for a little bit over a year and got back recently in, I guess, December. Anyways, we went to visit her, and we went to an elephant rehab place. Yeah, get that. But I, I love elephants, and they're rescued elephants that um, people do really bad things to elephants, especially in Thailand. So this man owns this, like, a rehab place, and they would rescue all these elephants. And some of them were babies, and some of them were adults. And I, we learned a lot about elephants. And you would go there, and you would bathe them, and you would get in the water with them, and you would feed them. I stuck my hand up to here with bananas in his mouth. I mean, it was so much fun. And we learned a lot about elephants. And we learned that every one of these elephants had his own, like, uh, uh, trainer or caretaker, I'm not sure what they called, that would sleep in the pen outside that particular elephant and they would manage it and take care of it and you could see the love that this elephant had for its trainer it was amazing you would just watch it and they'd again have their little whistle and the elephants well all of a sudden at one time everyone talked about the man who owned the place he was the one who rescued all the elephants and all that and everyone talked about him but i didn't know who he was because i don't know anybody there all of a sudden all the elephants, and we were kind of all scattered, all of them ears, and they got big ears, right? Their ears like perked up, and they all started running. This man who owned the place had walked on to the place and did some weird whistle, and they were like, whoop, and they all loved him, and they all took out off after this trainer guy, and they just followed him around. And the Lord immediately brought John chapter 10 to me, and that's the kind of obedience that God, and I, I termed it the elephant whisperer. He was the elephant whisperer, and, um, and I have a, a lot of studies out of that incident because it was so amazing but immediately god was like that's how quick kelly i want you to obey me that you hear my voice and your ears and everything just go right up and you say yes lord because i'm i should be depending on him for every need that i have what i'm going to eat what i'm going to drink what am i going to do and how he's going to protect me it's all in him and so can i learn to respond that quick as the elephants or that quick as the sheep as he called me to whatever it is and that's what the act of trust is, is saying, excuse me, yes, and following his voice. And when you think about trust, our trust in people is limited, right? I mean, it's limited. Even, uh, even someone you totally love can let you down, right? Has anyone not been let down by somebody? No, you can't raise your hand in if you... Well, if you haven't, that's really good. But I think everybody's been left down by somebody. No one can fulfill every promise that they've made to you. Now, I would say I totally trust my husband. I do. He's never given me a reason not to trust him in the big sense. Okay, but does that mean I trust Brian to remember everything that I've told him? Nope. My husband, I love him to death, has a sincerely horrible memory. Scripture like this. I don't know how he does it. What I asked him to do tomorrow, nothing. It's just gone. He doesn't remember anything. And it's, it can be a problem if I don't roll with it. Because, you know, it's like, it's, and if I remind him, he's mad because I reminded him. And if I don't remind him, I should have because, you know, he didn't remember. So it's really all my fault all the time anyways. But so even though I trust him in the deep sense, can I completely trust? No, there is nobody that you can completely trust like that. Because we are flawed. 
You know, have you read that book? It's a pre-marriage book, When Two Sinners Say I Do. That, really, two sinners say I do. That, that's it. We're all flawed. But God is not. And that's the beauty of having this relationship with Christ, this trusting, uh, ear stand up, up kind of relationship, because he's not flawed. And it says he can't lie. He can't let you down. Now, again, maybe you're expecting something that's not according to his will. That's a whole nother Bible study. But trusting in him and his promises, you know, they're yes and amen. He is not flawed. You know, when you study people in scripture, the Bible greats or, you know, the people that we tend to, to look at, they have many things in common. But things, uh, many things especially, but one thing is really obedience. It's not perfection. You know, they mess up. Every Bible great that you love has messed up. But it's it's obedience. They sought, you know, even David, a man number a man after God's own heart, and it says, Why? Because he sought his will. Was David perfect? No. You and I both know he wasn't, but he sought after his will. And so the Bible greats are full of people who just wanted to obey God and be faithful to what he's called them to do. And um, so this year in our ladies' study, the reason I say that, because this year in our ladies' study, and I think you guys have, I don't know how many years ago, focused on women of the Bible. And we took good women and bad women and looked at them. And of the women who, I guess you'd consider good women, the bad women would be like Potiphar's wife. I think I called that study bad to the bone. You know, I mean, so there was good women and bad women. So the good women, the, the thing that was the common thread was their trust in God. And their trust uh, led them to obedience to whatever God was calling them to do. I'm, I wrote the study that we're doing, and I loved it. It was so fun. And I really had a heart to look at women. Uh, I've never felt called to uh, do a study of women of the Bible before. I think it's my own issues because so many, and I'll just be frank with you, so many of the men commentators that write on women of the Bible don't have a clue because they aren't women. And um, I'm just, I have grown a little weary in reading some of their commentators and them telling me how I should feel and think and things like that. And I don't know what my thing is. I am so anti-cookie cutter. I really am. I'm, I do not have a cookie-cutter marriage. I have, I'm not a cookie-cutter parent. I don't think we all, all of our marriages can be different. As long as you have biblical principles, I don't care who pays your bills. I don't care who walks the dog. Like, I'm tired of, I don't know who made that Christians have to look like this and do everything like this and be the same. We don't. We're all unique with different gifts and talents, and we are free to be who God's called us to be. And I felt like I wanted to write a study about women that would free them to use their gifts. We are all called to kingdom build, and God has loves us just as much as men. And I wanted to bring light to women and how they felt and thought and uh, what they thought about and the experiences that they were going through. And that's what propelled me to, to write. Because I don't like when they teach us you have to be married and you have to have kids. What about a single woman? Does that mean she's less of God's call in her life? No. What if you don't want kids? Does that mean that you, that's plan B and you've chosen not? No. Maybe God hasn't called you to that. And I'm tired of our single ladies feeling less than that we've made them feel because they don't have a husband. I don't like that. You are free to be all that God has called you to be. Anyways, that's my little speech. But so that's why I wrote women. That's kind of the bent that I wanted to look at each woman of the Bible from. Um, so 
I wanted to also look at how they felt. We read their stories and what they did, how they felt when they went through the situation, how they felt when they were discarded or abandoned or, um, you know, or uh, been made fun of or thought less than. I, I wanted to, us as women to experience how they would have felt because then we can relate to them and we can understand. And so that was kind of the thing. And so as I, pr- why am I telling you this? Because you're like, I don't care what you wrote. So there's a, there, there's a reason I'm telling you this. So as I prayed about who to talk about tonight as far as examples of an act of trust, I thought about some of the women that we talked about and some of the women that we studied. And I wanted to talk just about three of them briefly and look at them and how their lives showed an act of trust as they obeyed him. Okay. Are we, are we in with why I told you that? Okay. I did get on a little soapbox. Sorry. Okay. So the first woman that I think is very common that we look at is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're like, oh yeah, we know her story. Um, but do we like, how often do we maybe just at Christmas, but this woman had faith for all seasons. Think of all the things that Mary went through from the time that she was visited and said, you're going to, you know, uh, birth the son of God and be like, what? You know, I mean, she's a teenager. What do you think she felt like? What, you know, I know that they say that every Jewish girl was hoping to be the mother of Messiah, but did she have other dreams? Did she, she was already betrothed to Joseph. Did they have plans? Did they have a life they were going to build? Did, you know, had she thought about all the peer pressure and all the whispering that was whispering about her and that that stigma uh, would carry her for the rest of the life, her life on how she, you know, uh, was a single mom and birthed him. You know what I mean? Um, the ridicule, her dreams, the the death of her son. I don't think she completely understood what was going to happen to him. And I thought about all the different things that she had to experience. And she's one of my heroes because I think of any emotion that I have felt as a woman, as a wife, as a mom, you know, as a parent, she has felt. And she went through. And we see constant trust in her God as she went through it. And I just... Um, it's amazing. She understood that God's plan for her was bigger than she could understand. And it was all because she trusted in God that enabled her to go through everything, to sit there and watch her son be crucified. Could you do that? I don't know if I could do that. I think I would have been climbing up there trying to get the nails out of his hands, wouldn't you? I mean, it just in the situations that have happened to your nice kids already that aren't as drastic as hanging on a cross, wouldn't you want the mother think, like, you, it just comes out, and you're going to kill, right? Imagine standing there at the foot of the cross, what she had to endure, and all the things leading up to that. It just blows my mind. And I just thought she had to trust God that much. Because sometimes trusting God means letting go of things, but sometimes trusting God means hanging on with everything you got. That's why trust is weird to talk about. Sometimes you do just let go and that's all you can do. And again, other times you just hold on with your life and say, I don't understand it. I can't do this, God. I can't do this. I can't do this, but I know you can. And maybe someone here tonight is in a situation that you feel like you're hanging on or like the cat posters that you see that are, you know, and you're just like, I can't. But God says, I am able. I can do this through you. Hang on to me. Hang on tight. Hang on with everything you got. And I think that's what Mary did. I think she hung on to Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 that says, For God's thoughts are not your thoughts, and his ways are not your ways. And for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know how many times I go back to that? Because I've got this ongoing, I have a horribly active mind. Do you? 
and it just doesn't stop. And it, it just makes up stories. And, um, you know, I, I, my friend said this once and I concurred with her. Her husband, she could, she could drive home from work and as soon as she walked in, her husband would look at her and say, we had a fight, didn't we? Like, in her head. And it, I, I feel like that too. Brian could tell by the look of my face, oh, we had a fight. And it's like, yep, we did. Sit down, you know. And so my mind, so situations, I can blow up so big and it's really hard for me to bring my thoughts captive, you know, with Christ. But it's a choice I have to make. And I'm getting better and then I have a day that my thoughts are all over. You know what I mean? And maybe you're like that. But I think those are the times where we have to hang on and say, God, my thoughts are everywhere. Help me to focus on what you've done and not what you haven't done. Help me to focus on who you are rather than who they aren't. Or help me to focus on, you know, just a bigger picture. And those are choices that we have to make. And it is a choice and an act of obedience, you know, and an act of trust to say, okay, God, this isn't making sense to me. You know, I've shared before, I think when I was here, but it was a long time ago. I struggled with eating disorders for a lot of years of my life. And it was an intentional choice for me to get healing from the Lord to say, Lord, when I look in the mirror, I weigh 200 pounds. When I look in the mirror, I'm disgusting to myself. And the lies that your head tells you were amazing. And you really think it's true. And I would have to choose to say, but God, your word says this. My husband tells me that. My friends say this, and this is the size I wear. Even though everything in me wants to believe this, Lord, I'm choosing to believe that. And that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, to choose, I would say daily, but probably hour by hour, for me to get past myself and the issues that I had, and really the sin that held me captive. But again, it's a choice of putting your mind where it's supposed to go. And that's an act of obedience, and that's what Mary did I think, I think any mom had to have a difficult time raising, uh, you know, doing what she had to do and uh, surrendering her son to the Lord. And I think um, when we understand that God's ways are higher than ours, aren't you happy about that? Aren't you happy that you aren't the one that, I mean, sometimes we want to be the one that, you know, tells everybody what to do, but that he knows better than us? Can't you just... We should just breathe breathe a sigh of relief when we understand we can't even comprehend his ways. They're so lofty. And just that thought in that verse tells us something about his character. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. We can never completely understand all God is, what he says, what he does, and why he does it, and everything that he has planned for you and I. And I think Mary understood that. Did she understand the whole plan? Goodness, no. But she knew she could trust a God who was perfect. And ladies, what about you? Um, Are you facing a situation that you don't understand or that you fully don't grasp what God is doing? How many of you can say that's you? That you face a situation that you're like, I don't get this. Lord, I don't understand. Is it really faith we do this too? Well, we'll see how God comes through and then I'll believe him. No, it's believing that God is able before we see. It's like Hannah praying, remember? And then she stood up and went her way before the son was born. She believed God's promise. He said he was going to get a son. Okay. And off she went. Did she see the son? No, but she trusted in God's word. And you and I are called to do the same. And that's an act of obedience and trust in his nature, in his character. 
Sometimes we hear about active or passive trust. People talk about that. They mean active trust as in God has maybe called you to do some action. That's, you know, God's called you to step out in this ministry or to do that. And they call that active trust. And passive trust is more when God tells you something but calls you to wait. You know how we've all had to do that. You're in the waiting room waiting for God to fulfill something he's shown you. And um, I think we're all faced with each. And I don't necessarily think one is easier than the other, maybe at different times. But each requires the same thing in our heart. And each require, require bravery, I think, to trust him. Uh, a deep belief that God knows best. To me, sometimes I guess the persistent ones are harder because you just get tired of the wait. You know what I mean? Sometimes you're like, God, I've prayed for this for 20 years and I don't see. You know what I mean? Those are hard. But um, think of something that God has called you clearly to do and you know it. Just think of something in the past or right now, a big thing or a small thing. Marriage was big. You're going to be the son of Jesus. Okay, I'd call that big. I think that's big. I'd call that a big one. But maybe other small things. Maybe it was marry your spouse or adopt a child or step out in a ministry or something or come tonight. Maybe it was bravery for you to come tonight because you're afraid. Maybe you don't know anyone. This is a scary place. You've been burned by believers. What if nobody talks to you? You already feel lonely and it's, it's horrible to feel alone with a bunch of people. And so maybe tonight was difficult for you. And many of you had to say, okay, God, in whatever thing you thought about, I trust that you know what, I'm, what you're doing. So I'm going to take that step. And I feel like he calls us to do that every single day. Don't you? I do. Sometimes, again, they're big ones, and sometimes it's walking through the door. Sometimes, when you've been in ministry as long as I and Trudy have, there's a lot of people that don't like you anymore. Let's just be honest. You know, they're mad at you. They love you until you say something you don't like, and then they hate you. You know, that's just, that's just is. That never gets easier than doing it 35 years, and it's never easier. And so you run into people in the store that you want to run away from or that you want to run down the other aisle. You know, you do too, and you're just like, I don't want this confrontation. This confrontation. And sometimes it's, I will be honest, it's everything in me to muster up enough bravery to walk down the aisle and face the person. And sometimes, uh, and it, that's just the Lord enabling you to do it. And sometimes that day, that's your act of obedience. God said, don't run, face it. God says, you love them even though they hate you. God says, you love them no matter what. And sometimes it can be as simple as that. That's what God's calling you to do. I just had that on the 4th of July. We went to the movies and we ran into somebody that ab- I haven't seen him since they got mad at us and left. Absolutely can't stand us. And it was all over their face. And you were walking right to him and there's nothing you could do. And my husband is great about it. Again, the bad memory. He doesn't remember when anybody hates him. So that helps his savior. And I remember everything, even what they were wearing when they said what they said to me. So it really works against me. But the rest of the family that was there likes us. It's just that person that hates us. And so, you know, Brian's acting like nothing. And we're walking up to this family. And I'm telling you, my knees are shaking. My my throat is in my stomach. Because when I know someone hates me, it does something to me. I just want to curl up. Like, I just... And I don't know, do I say hi? Is that, like, do I just... You know, she's giving me a dirty look already, and I'm walking up to her, and I'm just like, and Brian's like, oh, that's nah, just her face. I'm like, shut up. No, it's not. And so he's, he's much nicer than I am. So 
again, he doesn't remember. So we're walking, we're walking up, and again, I'm not going to repeat the whole thing, but as we got to the car, I'm almost hyperventilating inside because it shook me up. So I feel like I was traumatized. It, it's too long of a situation to tell you. You would understand if I tell you. And my husband's like, well, that went good. And you're just like, <laughs> I'm hyperventilating. But you know what? God said, well done, Kelly. Well done. Because I didn't run. And I didn't make up a reason to go to the bathroom, which I could have because it was right there. And I, I, I hugged them. And I reached out to them. And I did everything that was so against what my flesh wanted to do. And God said, well done. It didn't matter that I was traumatized. It didn't matter how hard it was. God called me to love when I didn't want to love. And so sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's a big thing, you know, a ministry or something like that. And sometimes it's like go next door to your neighbor and make amends. It's forgive that person that's hurt you and you don't want to forgive. You just want to be bitter. It's, it's don't withhold your love for them anymore. And so it can be big or small. And you know in your own life what God's calling you to do and what that looks like as an act of trust. Because he will enable you to do what he's called you to do, big or small, right? And we've seen it over and over again. Loving our neighbors as ourselves is an act of trust, isn't it? Sometimes we're afraid of people. They might hurt us again. Or what if it's not reciprocal? Or um, or what's it going to require of me? Oh, this person's needy. I'm going to run the other way. Or, or whatever our thing is. Or I've been burned, so I'm going to keep my wall up. You know, someone once told me they, they put walls on purpose. And I'm like, well, that's bad. I mean, I got walls probably that I don't know. But you know what I mean? It's like, let's rip them down. But um, those things... Um, we have to, loving others is the second greatest commandment. Love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. No exceptions. Do you find an exception in there? Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, what about them? What about those who this? What about that? They look different. Or they act different. Or they, they hate me. Or whatever story you've made up in your mind. There's no exceptions. And sometimes it's an act of trust to love another person. Again, what if it requires more of me than I want to give? Or to love the unlovely? Or to work with a human traffic victim? We must trust that God will strengthen you, empower you, and fill you with his love for them to do whatever he's called you to do, to say hi to that person in the movies. Um, And that empowerment by the Spirit will propel you forward to do that act of obedience. You know, it's easy to love certain people, right? not so easy to love other people um but funny thing again god doesn't give us the the exception and then of all things god puts the good samaritan story in the bible to teach us what it means to love our neighbor right i love that story i think it never gets old and i could read it every day because i think it convicts me and he puts that story which i don't have to tell you but he puts it in there to learn how to pay attention to the needs of others to learn how to be brave and walk across the street when you don't want to, to, to know how, what it means to give up a time, a talent, a resource to help someone need, to learn how to cross a bridge of someone that you don't want to. Again, a Samaritan, a Jew, that's a no-no. And yet he did it when his own, the own religious people, their own people wouldn't help. He took that risk and he crossed the street, and he went above and beyond for that person. And that story teaches us so much to love those of another class or race or gender or political view or a different set of standard or morals or whatever it is to cross that street. And that's a phrase I always use in my head. Come on, Kelly, you got to cross that street. 
there's a homeless person or there's this, let's cross that street. And that's an act of trust. We need to trust God that he's calling us to do that. And again, that he will empower us to build bridges instead of walls. And if we really trust him when he opens our eyes to someone, we need to trust that he knows what he's doing. And I guess on a side note, as I think about people, uh, who are your exceptions? Do you think of anybody? Maybe you think, no, I don't have any exceptions. Be honest. Be honest. You know, I was talking to a group yesterday of high school kids about human trafficking. And sometimes it's very easy to say, I want to work with the homeless. I want to work with the unlovable. I want to work with the human trafficking victims. But I don't want to love that kid that sits on the aisle next to me that everybody thinks is weird. It's easy sometimes. Sometimes we think that's the hard ones. And other times, those are the easy ones. It's hard to love the person sitting next to you in the pew who really bugs you and who snaps her gum when she chews and picks her nose or whatever it is that bugs you. Those sometimes are the harder ones to love. Do you have any of those? You see your maybe a neighbor coming towards your house. You pull the shades down and lock the door. You know, those, no exceptions. God calls us to love them. And that does involve trust. Who is God moving you to show compassion to or to forgive who doesn't deserve it or to give another chance to who someone who's burned you or to love someone you don't even trust? God can do this as you trust him. So what about Abigail, uh, Nabal's wife, who was married to that fool? He wouldn't help David and his men. You guys know that story, as was his custom. She heard David was mad. I'm assuming you know these stories because you did women in the Bible. But he planned to go kill Nabal. She, in all her wisdom, stops him in his tracks and challenges him to look at things differently and not allow his temper, you remember that story, to overtake him. She feared and trusted God more than she um, feared Nabal and more than she feared David and his men as well. And what strikes me about Abigail is she stayed married and faithful to this fool. And why? You know, I mean, his name means fool, and they called him a, you know, a scoundrel. His neighbors called him a scoundrel, so he's a bad guy. So why? Because I don't think there's anything lovable in him. Even his servants hated him, but she trusted God. And she knew that the Lord would be faithful to her, so she stayed faithful in her calling to, as a wife to him. I called that lesson Beauty and the Beast, by the way. But that, that was Abigail. And um, another woman we saw, and I'll end with this story, a deep level of trust was another favorite of mine was the, the widow who gave the mite. You guys know that story? Um, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus was talking to his disciples um, opposite of the treasury and up walks this little lady who gives these two mites. Um, she wasn't looking to be noticed or to get any glory. Gosh, you know, maybe I'll be recording scripture someday. No, she probably didn't even see Jesus there. She does this. And Jesus was contrasting her to his disciples with the scribes and those who loved being noticed, who prayed long prayers, and who made everybody knew what they were doing for, pre- for uh, a pretense. And so he's comparing and contrasting the two. I love about, he wasn't comparing material riches, but spiritual riches and richness of her heart. She gave out of her poverty, out of her lack. God didn't look at the amount, but at the proportion and the attitude of her heart. She had nothing, but still wanted to be generous and bless God. And remember, she's a widow. She didn't have a husband to take care of her or anybody else. She was a widow, which would mean what? She had to depend on herself pretty much to take care of herself. So I would think she would be prone not to give her two mites and take care of herself because who knows when she's going to get money again. But instead, 
she goes out of her way and completely depends on God and gives her two little mites and has to completely trust that God's going to take care of every one of her needs. Isn't that just amazing? I love that story. And yes, God likes it when you give out of your riches. Of course, that's fine. A generous heart, it doesn't matter what you have. God calls us to be generous and to be cheerful as we give. But to give out of her lack, what a sense of dependence. What a sense of trust. And again, God, I don't know how you're going to take care of me, but here you go. So many of us, how many of you are tempted as you write out your tithe, if you're tithing, hopefully you are, but as your tithe, you pay your bills first and then you give your tithes because you can't give your tithe first because what if you do and you don't have enough for your bills? What an act of obedience to actually tithe first and trust that God's going to take care of everything else. But it's just an amazing story of trust and dependence to me, a very selfless act. And she surrendered her heart, which again was an act of trust. It's cool that our omniscient God who knows all saw her. He saw her heart. He saw her secrets. He saw her self-denial and he knows it was all because of her love for him. And then he places her story in the word for safekeeping forever. Isn't that amazing? You just wonder, does she even know? Well, now she knows if she's heaven, but did she didn't even know that was going on, yet God saw her. And it reminds me of the story of Hagar, who was another one of my favorites. This not Hebrew lady, and you know her story. Sarah wanted a, a baby with Abraham, is promised a baby. No baby comes. She gets impatient. What does she do? Tells Hagar, sleep with my husband. And he's like, okay. And, you know, I, I, just, I just always wonder, what did Hagar think? Did she want to? Did she think it was an honor? Or um, I think she's a victim. Did she want to? Did she feel forced? Did she feel um, devalued that I'm just a thing? So now I have to sleep with him to have your baby? I mean, what would you have felt? I, I don't know how she felt. But again, remember, she gets pregnant and Sarah's angry at her and she kind of is mean to her and kind of like hit the road and Hagar flees and God finds her next to a pool, a pool of water out in the wilderness. And, and he finds her this young girl as she's run away. Where is she running to? She's a slave. Who's going to take care of her? This pregnant lady. Is she running home? Who, who knows where she's going, but she's there and God meets her there and he gives her a promise and he gives her instruction and he gives her encouragement. And what does Hagar do? She, out of her dependence and trust now of this God of Abraham, she does what he says and goes back to the person who was violating her. He says, go back because I have big plans for you. And she does. But you know what else she does? She names God El Roi, which means the God who sees me. She is the only woman. I think, let me, let me look and hold, hold on. I want to get this right. Hagar is the first person whom the angel of the Lord appeared to, the first woman in the Bible to whom God directly made a promise, and she's the only person in the Old Testament to get to give God a new name. That's amazing. She's not even a Hebrew. Jacob and Abraham named the place uh, they saw God, and Hagar actually names God. But I thought about Hagar as well, and this discarded, forgotten lady. How many of how many of you feel like that today in some area discarded, forgotten, somebody's plan B 
or perhaps something you face is a consequence of somebody else's sin, not even yours, and you're having to reap the consequences. Sarah made her do this, and now here she is in the wilderness all alone, ready to have this baby. She is somebody's plan B. And maybe that's you tonight, wondering if how you feel matters to anyone. Have you ever felt like that? I have. Does anyone even care how I feel? Take heart as you think of Hagar. Take heart that God loved her so much and saw her in her wilderness of pain. Because you know what? He sees you as well. He sees you in your wilderness of pain. He sees you in the difficulties you face tomorrow. He sees you in the big and the small. If you're not anybody's plan B, you are God's plan A. You, he is there. He will never leave you or forsake you. And Hagar understood now that God was sending her back because God's plan for Hagar was bigger than her. It was bigger than she could see. And she develops this trust in God. And she goes back and submits herself unto Sarah. Amazing. She saw her pain. Uh, well, I don't know if she saw it, but I'm hoping she did. Pain as a consequence when sometimes it's a gift, not sometimes, I guess always. Sometimes we see pain, it's just a consequence of the situation, but it can be used as a gift in your life because it refines you, right? And because it teaches us and draws us close to the Lord. I have so many notes and I just looked at the time and I have to be done. But I just want to say, when you can't understand what his will is, trust him and go forward one step at a time. When you are afraid, you can't do what he's called you to do. Trust him and take one step at a time, trusting that he will strengthen your weak knees and your frail bodies. When you are discouraged in the weight, focus on what God is doing rather than what he's not doing. Trust is the antidote for a troubled heart. Trust is the antidote for a continuing fear. Trust is the antidote for a clouded vision. And choosing to trust is an action that's called obedience. God has, whatever God has called you ladies to do, and uh, I hope you've been praying about that the whole time we talk, be faithful. That's all he's asked you to do. Whether it's be a Deborah warrior prince or princess, or whether it's to be the other Deborah who's named, who was just Jacob and Rebecca's nursemaid, who took care of their kids and changed diapers, but she died and everyone more. I never knew there was another Deborah. Both of them get their name in scripture. One warrior princess and one was faithful to the, to the home life that God called her to do. And they both got their names in scripture because they were faithful to do what God called them to do. And that's all he's called you to do. Be faithful. And commit and say yes to stepping out, stepping up, stepping over, and stepping across. Stepping out in a new ministry or calling or job or, or something. Stepping up into a leadership position or stepping up to speak up for someone who can't or standing up for someone Stepping over someone's sin, overlooking a transgression, stepping over into someone's world to get to know them like the Good Samaritan did, or to step across the street again like the Good Samaritan. 
Go across the street and show compassion. And don't look the other way and pretend you don't see the needs around you. Don't turn off your TV and think, well, you know, it's all the world's going to hell. And just, you know, Lord, you take care of it. We are God's hands and feet in this world. We are part of the solution. We are called to do our part. And how we live in our society, in our city, in our state, in our world matters to God. Because we have this little life in a huge eternity and and we don't get to do it over let's make it count let's make it count and be faithful to what god's called us to do amen